That's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with their income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go, with you, to, go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first con- converts in Archaea, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit, and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for that reading, Andrew, and good evening, everyone. My name is Tyler. Great to be with you this evening. I am just a little bit excited because I I spied in the kitchen uh, earlier as part of our cereal extravaganza. Is that the technical term? Is that right? As part of our cereal extravaganza supper tonight, two massive boxes of cinnamon donut Fruit Loops. (laughs) So look, we're not going to have question time after the sermon in service tonight. But if you do have questions, you'll find me by the big blue box with the colorful bird and the cinnamon donuts inside afterwards. Uh, Why don't we pray as we begin this evening? Our Heavenly Father, there's plenty going on in our minds and in our hearts. Lots of noise. We ask that tonight you would give us just a bit of space to really hear what you have to say to us, and that as we listen to you in your word, we ask that you'd work in us by your spirit to form us, 
to be more and more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, You can go ahead and flick that first picture up. Thanks, Lance. Uh, You may have heard me speak about the fact that I wasn't born here. Uh, I was born in a sea of cornfields in Illinois in the Midwest of the USA. And this July, we were blessed to go back, uh, back to the old white farmhouse I grew up in, back to those seas of cornfields and hang out with my uh, family. Uh, the corn, as, uh, as advertised, was even more than knee-high by the 4th of July, and by the time we left near the end of July, uh, that was a head and a half high. It's, uh, it's really something. It's got its own sort of beauty, those cornfields that just stretch on. Uh, fast forward to a couple weeks ago, thanks a lot, so we can put that next picture up, and uh, there's my Uncle Steve and his combine harvester uh, in those fields uh, right next to our house. And my grandpa's actually up there as well getting a ride on the combine. But uh, notice they're not just on the side of, of the fields. They're amongst it. They are harvesting. They are working. They are laboring. They are toiling in those fields. There's, there's a metaphor here. Stay with me. As Andrew mentioned, tonight we come to the end of 1 Corinthians, to chapter 16. Early on in this letter, way back, way back in chapter 3, Paul pictured the Corinthians as a field, God's field. A field in which people planted and watered the seed, but ultimately God made that crop grow. The Lord is at work. Saving people, growing people, establishing people in Jesus. And today, as we come to the final piece of Paul's letter, we're going to hear an invitation, an exhortation to move from the sidelines and get amongst it, to support the work of the Lord. Last week, you might remember that Paul concluded his magnificent section in 1 Corinthians 15, on Jesus' resurrection and our future certain resurrection with these words. You heard Nick flag these earlier. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Supporting the work of the Lord, that is a worthy endeavor. And Paul's going to keep on that theme all through this chapter. To paraphrase Paul, get amongst what the Lord is doing. Everyone can get on board. And Paul makes that pretty clear because he refers to the Corinthian church collectively, you all, heaps of times, 18 times or something in this chapter. You all. Now, of course, if Paul was from certain parts of the states, uh, he'd shorten you all to y'all. And so he might say something like this. Y'all support the work of the Lord because y'all are the people of the Lord. That's the the SFT, the Southern Fried Translation. (laughs) Can you get around that? Will you be a part of that? Let me give you three ways that Paul says the Corinthians and we 
can come on board and support the work of the Lord. Here they are. Sacrifice, honor, and love. We're going to see that supporting the work of the Lord, it's less about obligation, more about opportunity. It's less why and more why wouldn't you? It's less obsession with being an influencer and more emphasis on being influenced by the gospel and by people who humbly join in the work of the gospel. It's less contempt, more care. Less looking out for number one, more looking out for others. Less glamour, more grace. Less about ourselves, more about Jesus. Sacrifice, honor, love. First, sacrifice. And if you've got your Bibles open in chapter 16, this will be handy because let's go on a bit of a scavenger hunt. I want you to have a look. How many different places, how many different churches, how many different people can you find that Paul mentions in chapter 16? And while you're looking, if, if you're on the kids' team, or if you've been on the kids' team, give yourself a pat on the back, because this morning, the kids smashed the adults in the scavenger hunt. It was great. There's plenty, right? <laughs> There's heaps. Paul drops names. Jerusalem, the Galatian churches, Ephesus, Apollos, the list goes on. Now, is this just the way that Paul is at the end of his letters? <laughs> or is there something more here? Here's what I reckon Paul is doing. He's trying to help the Corinthians to look up and look out. To lift their gaze and see there is a Christian world beyond Corinth. The work of the Lord is not confined to the Corinthians. Now it sounds obvious, but, but when you veer towards spiritual elitism, as some of the Corinthians did, it's a bit tempting to think, yeah, we've got it. We are the one. Were it, instead of thinking, yes, the Lord is at work, and we are but one of many. God is just as much at work in other places as he is in the Corinthian church. And his people in those places are just as deserving of attention and encouragement as the Corinthians. So Paul gets straight to the point there in verse 1. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Corinthians, the Christian world does not revolve around you. And I'm not picking on you. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Corinthians, sacrifice some of your income. Give financially, not just for those within your own gathering, but for the Lord's people who are really in need in Jerusalem. This is a generosity that 
that is planned. It is purposeful. It is reasonable. It is regular. And it is right. Paul is broadening their vision from an individualized, cliquish sort of Christianity to a growing family of Christians united under Christ. Friends, I I am so thankful. Aren't you thankful for the work that God is doing here at St. Matthew's? But I also know, and and I hope you do too, that St. Matthew's does not have a monopoly on the work of the Lord. So let us be people that are invested in the work of the Lord both here, but also beyond our four walls. What might that sacrifice look like? Well, it might look like a generosity of your time, of your money, a generosity of your prayers, of your hospitality, of your friendship, supporting not just our local church, but the broader church. And if you're wondering where to start, why don't you check out our Global Gospel Partners Prayer Update. These are on the welcome table in the foyer as you came in. A great place to start as you think about how you might be aware of, how you might pray for and support the Lord's work beyond just St. Matthew's. And one more thing, when when you're chatting with Christians from other churches, and, and I do hope that you talk with Christians from other churches, How quick are you to encourage them? Do your attitude and your actions affirm the work of the Lord in other gospel-hearted churches? The Lord is working in other places, in other gatherings, in other churches, and one key way we can support that work is through our sacrifice. Number one, sacrifice. Number two, honor honor. Now let me put this to you. Have you thought about this? That we live in a world that honors people, that acknowledges people for the strangest things. We live in a world that acknowledges people for pretending to be people they're not, for singing songs they didn't write, We acknowledge people for training and grooming their dogs really, really well. For getting a ball of various size into or through a narrow space in a defined period of time under certain opposition. For seeing how many hot dogs they can shove down their gut in less than five minutes. And apologies if you've been acknowledged for such things. But... But who do you think really deserves to be acknowledged, to be honored? Paul says it's the people who just keep on plugging away in a godly way for God. Notice what he says about how the Corinthians are to treat Tim, Steph, Lucky, and Kai. Those those are my nicknames for Paul's mates in the faith. Here's what he says in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. 
No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace. And some excerpts from verses 15 to 18. The household of Stephanus have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. Submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived. They refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Tim, Steph, Lucky, Kai. Four guys carrying on the work of the Lord. Four guys who deserve not to be despised, but recognized. How do we help facilitate gospel ministry? By treating those doing the work of the Lord with respect, with proper esteem and affection, with honor. So St. Matthew's Uni Church, how committed are we to people who have humbly and loyally committed themselves to the work of the Lord? And on a side note, when, when God is at work, when good things are happening, there is a danger that we manipulate that or we twist that to our own selfish motives. We turn ministry into a competition a popularity contest, a a platform for ourselves, which, of course, undermines the work of the Lord instead of supporting it. In verse 12, Apollos, who was outwardly impressive in some ways, and he had a bit of a fan club in Corinth, perhaps recognized something of that danger and delayed the visit to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were, and we are, blessed with people who go about the work of the Lord in godly persistence and devotion. These are the people to look up to. These are the people to listen to. These are the people to imitate. These are the people to recognize. These are the people to honor. And in doing so, we support the work of the Lord. Sacrifice honor, and third, love. Now, it would have been hard to miss this. Did you see this in verse 20? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Yesterday, we had Saturday night pizza dinner with some friends, and I mentioned this verse, and I asked, hey, what do you reckon? And the youngest person at the table, who may or may not be my youngest son, wasted no time making his thoughts known. There is no way that I am kissing anybody. Okay. So we briefly discussed the possibility of a holy hug, a holy pinky promise, a holy high five. What is Paul getting at? Well, look a few lines back in verse 14. It's the shortest verse in the chapter, and maybe even the shortest verse in the whole letter. It's brief, but it is absolutely bursting with significance. Do everything in love. That's what's behind the instruction to greet one another with a holy kiss. For the Corinthians, even the act of saying hello was to be an act of giving, an act of love. And a holy kiss was not at all meant to be self-serving, 
but rather a sign of sincere affection and unity in Christ. So now I'm not, I'm not advocating a return to sanctified smooching, don't worry, but it is worth considering. How do we warmly welcome one another, relate to each other in a way that speaks to the fact that we are all part of God's family in Jesus? Do everything in love. Throughout this letter, Paul has been trying to get the Corinthians to look beyond themselves. You are not a Christian in isolation. We are not a church in isolation. Encouraging them to desire others' good over and above their own. It's an attitude of, I'm not doing well unless you're doing well. And hey, when you're doing well, then I'm doing well. Love has been a pressure point for the Corinthians. I mean, after all, how in the world is a church meant to function apart from love? So Paul calls on them to let love be the substance of how they support the work of the Lord. That's not the last thing Paul has to say on this topic. We'll get there in a moment. But let's pause, just step back and get get a bit of perspective for a moment. This letter of 1 Corinthians, it's, it's not the shortest in the New Testament, is it? 16 chapters, hundreds of verses, thousands of words, and pretty much all of that has been dictated by Paul to his friend Sosthenes to scribe, to record. But now for the last handful of words in this letter, Paul picks up the pen himself. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. He records in verse 21. These final verses are worth Paul personally scratching each letter of each word onto parchment. Every director knows the final scene, the final tableau, the final shot in a movie. That speaks volumes, doesn't it? Every author knows their closing paragraph, their last sentence, that carries extra weight. And likely Paul knew that for the Corinthians, hearing this letter read aloud, these final words would be especially remembered. These last words would hang in the air. But this has been a big letter, right? Not just in length, but in depth. Covering deep, complicated, significant, sensitive, potentially tricky issues. How do you close a particularly weighty text message or email or phone conversation or even a letter People write those anymore. How do you say goodbye when you have spilled your heart onto a piece of parchment and you don't know when you'll get a reply or how your words will be received? What do you want to leave people with? Paul's final words are framed by love and the Lord Jesus. They begin in verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, 
Let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. You know, one of the things I love about Paul is he is, he's not so concerned with what the Corinthians think of him. But boy, he is super concerned with what the Corinthians think of Jesus. It's a warning. It's a, it's a check on our affections. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Are you in or out? Can you say with Paul, Maranatha, come Lord, because you know that the Lord's coming means your ultimate victory over sin and death through Jesus. Do you love the Lord Jesus? You might say, yes, yes, Tyler. But sometimes my yes, it feels so weak and meek. Well, so does mine sometimes. Paul has good news for us. Let's not miss it there in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Everything Paul says from first to last flows from God's grace in the Lord Jesus. The Corinthian church was founded by grace. That's how Paul began this letter way back in chapter 1. To the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in the Lord Jesus. The Corinthian church was founded on grace. It will continue by grace. Jesus' death and resurrection, those are not just historical facts. They are also the fuel by which God's people will keep going and will keep growing. Now, Paul has given plenty of instructions, too, right? Not just in in chapter 16, but in all of 1 Corinthians. How does he expect the Corinthians and us to follow through on those? Again, it's grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It is the grace of Christ that will enable us to stand firm in him through sacrifice, through honor, through love, to as well support the work of the Lord Jesus. And finally, the last line, verse 24. Paul says, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. It's not just a throwaway line. It's not mere sentiment. Here is Paul's pledge. Remember, though, we've seen in this letter that Paul has had some very strong words for the Corinthians, hasn't he? Things are a bit dicey. Paul could have grumbled about the Corinthians. He could have ghosted them. could have given up on them. could have given them a hard time. Instead, he gave them love. He gave them grace. And friends, is that not how God has treated us in the Lord Jesus? Paul treats the Corinthians with love. It doesn't mean that everything is fine. It's not. But what it does mean is that Paul's desire, his disposition towards the Corinthians, has not changed. His attitude is steady. I love you, he assures them. 
And hey, there, there is no doubt in my mind that Paul wants the best for each of those Corinthians in Jesus. He wants the best for the Corinthian church in Jesus. He wants them to stand firm in Jesus. And even though things are not necessarily fine, Paul's love for them is firm. And so how about us, friends? How about us? Look, some of us here this evening, myself included, we may have a fellow Christian in our lives with whom we have some level of relational strife. For one reason or another, everything is not fine between you and them. What is your disposition towards that person? Yes, there may be friction. Yes, things may be rough. But could you face up to them and say, I want the best for you in Jesus. My love for you in Jesus. Do you honestly desire the best for them in Christ Jesus? Not meaning that they get their way or that you get your way, but that God gets his way in their life. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Boy, we need it, don't we? My love to all of you. It's it's the kind of thing that Paul could never have said before he met Jesus. His grace to me was not without effect. These are Paul's words from chapter 15. It is only his encounter with the Lord Jesus and the work of God's grace in his life that allows Paul to profess his love for the Corinthians with all sincerity. It's not false. It's not misleading. It's not manipulative. It is true. To support the work of the Lord, is to engage in a labor of love. The same grace that changed Paul, the the same grace he reminded the Corinthians of, is the very same grace that is ours in Christ Jesus, friends. And boy, I'm so glad, because if it wasn't for grace, apart from grace, our love would grow cold. The way we show honor And the people to whom we show honor would be misplaced and inconsistent. And any sacrifice we might make would be offered up on the altar of self-interest. When it comes to standing firm in Jesus, to supporting the work of the Lord in Jesus, the grace of Jesus is all we have to lean on. And thankfully, thankfully that is more than enough, friends. We are the people of the Lord. The Lord is still at work. So will y'all, will we support the work of the Lord through sacrifice, through honor, and through love? All by Jesus. All for Jesus. Amen.